Welcome to Real Life Church. For more information about our ministry and available resources, visit us online at reallifeankeny.org. Now let's join this week's service already in progress. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Isaiah 53. Ever heard what it means when a preacher takes off his watch? Absolutely nothing. Isaiah 53, we're going to be reading verses 7 to 12, and um, really excited to talk to you about something today that I think is so fundamental. Uh, you could spend a year probably in Isaiah 53, that might be an overstatement, but you could spend a lot of time in Isaiah 53, but I want to talk to you some, about something that is so fundamental in this passage, um, and I trust God speaks. Let's read Isaiah 53, 7 to 12. It says, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for this, his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Father, what a glorious passage. What an amazing set of verses here. God, what amazing truths are present here. God, where we could go, it's almost countless. But God, I pray that you would speak through me as I feel like you have led me to a particular subject this morning. And I pray that we'd be powerfully encouraged and built up and strengthened. I pray that we would learn to stand on this truth um, and find such rock-solid assurance for our souls, such a rock for us in the midst of sin and difficulty, challenges, small and big. And God, I pray your name would be glorified. I pray that Jesus Christ would be seen and manifest here today. Holy Spirit, come and do that as your word is preached in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to talk to you about something that is so fundamental um, that one person said long ago that apart from this truth, the church cannot stand even for one hour, and Christians cannot stand even for one hour. It addresses the simple yet incredibly fundamental question of, are you okay, or am I okay? You know, with the revelation of Robin Williams' allegedly committing suicide this last week, 
this question comes front and center, right on the TV screen. People generally, it's very apparent that people are not so sure if they're okay or not. Look at the bestsellers of the self-help books, whether it's Christian self-help or non-Christian self-help, and watch daytime talk shows, and it's very apparent that deep down inside, people don't know the answer to that question. Are you okay? Am I okay? This plagues people, whether they profess to be Christians or atheists or Buddhists or Muslims or agnostics, or those that just kind of believe anything and everything. The question, am I okay? From the housewife who feels she cannot do enough to keep her house clean, to keep her kids in line, wondering if she will ever measure up. To the man facing death from cancer, wondering if he did enough, if he loved God enough, if he prayed enough during his lifetime. To the woman in the middle of the worst nightmare of her life, wondering what's wrong with her. To the young man who struggles to feel like a good person again after falling into sin. I'm convinced that at the bottom of these anxieties and fears, and at the bottom of countless other anxieties and fears, is the same underlying question, am I okay? Robert Schuller, sometime I think in the 1980s, I... I I don't remember this from my own personal experience, but just in retrospect, reading about it, hearing about it, started what he called the self-esteem revolution. Why did he do it? Because of this question. People want to know, am I okay? And he wanted people to be assured, of course you're okay. You just need to have positive thoughts about yourself. Every person, every single person deep down, has this deep-seated desire to be approved, to be accepted. As we approach this, our last of what we call the servant songs in Isaiah chapters 40 to 66, we see this is precisely the assignment given to God's servant, who we know to be Jesus Christ, to do something about this fundamental problem, to answer this fundamental question. Are you okay? What do we need to do to be accepted? What do we need to do to have this sense of this need of approval dealt with in our lives? As we look at this passage, first glance in verses 7 to 9, it appears that oppression and injustice is going to prevail against this servant, against his wishes, against his power But quickly, we see that as part of God's overarching plan. Verses 7 to 9, we see that he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Jesus, the servant. Yet he didn't open his mouth. He was like a lamb that was being led away to be slaughtered. Before, like, Like a lamb before his shearers, he didn't say a word when he was standing before them. Verse 8 says, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And of course, we know from the gospel stories that there was gross injustice in the trial of Jesus. Lies put forward. Pontius Pilate, too spineless to stand up for what was right. Many accusing Jesus falsely. And even his disciples not having the guts to stand up and speak up for him. 
It says in verse 9 that his grave was with the wicked. Although he had done no violence, no acts of, no acts of a sinful nature, and there was not even a single word of deceit in his mouth. He was perfect. If there was anyone who had been mistreated, it, of course, was Jesus Christ. There's a book that was written, um, I think it was in the 90s, that is a book that chronicles all of the injustice of the arrest and trial and death of Jesus. He was totally treated unjustly. There was gross miscarriage of justice. We can see it loud and clear. But verse 10 tells us that there's something else going on here. It's not just injustice at the hands of evil men. Verse 10, the first word says, yet. Or if you have the NIV, it might say, but. So it it, it rivets us. It draws our attention to something. Because beforehand it says, by oppression and judgment, this man was treated unjustly. He was mistreated. There was injustice going on here. Verse 10 says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was part of God's plan. And Jesus Christ, the servant, willingly carried it out. I get this from at least three places. Again, verse 10, where it says, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. The New American Standard puts it in a little different way, which I think we have a hard time taking if we misunderstand what he's saying. It says, The Lord was pleased to crush him. So this is part of God's plan. This is part of the Lord's plan. This is part of Yahweh's plan. This is part of the Father's plan to crush the servant, to crush his son, to crush Jesus Christ. And then it says right after that, he has put him to grief. The second place I see this as part of God's overarching plan is later in verse 10 where it says, The will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Or again, the New American Standard says the the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. And then in verse 11, we see that this is not as though the father was crushing the son against the son's will or against his desires. Because verse 11 says, out of the anguish of his soul, the servant's soul, he shall see, the servant himself will see and be satisfied. Out of the anguish of his own soul, he will see and be satisfied. In other words, Jesus himself, out of the anguish of his own soul, will see and be satisfied. He will see the outcome of his anguish. He will see the outcome of his suffering. And he will be satisfied. And what is the outcome of his anguish? What is the outcome? Why was the father pleased to crush the son? Why did Jesus see the outcome of the anguish of his soul, and why was he satisfied? Because the outcome of his soul is that he makes many to be counted righteous. He makes many to be counted righteous. It says that in verse 11. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. This phrase, counted righteous or accounted righteous, is not completely foreign to the Old Testament. We see it in other places, or at least this idea alluded to. But of course, Isaiah 
Isaiah's language here is fleshed out more in the New Testament and probably the primary advocate of this truth of being counted righteous is taken up by the Apostle Paul. This truth to be counted righteous in Christ is it's said differently in the New Testament in a couple different places. It's to be justified in Christ. Or maybe a big word. I'd love if you learned this word today if you haven't learned it. Justification by faith, or this phrase, I guess. Justification by faith. This truth, justification by faith, that we see right here. We see this is the purpose of the servant giving himself up to die. This is the purpose of the father in crushing his son. This truth was at the center of the controversy during the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, largely used by God in restoring this truth during the Protestant Reformation, saw this truth as the central truth that the church cannot do without. And so if God could give me grace, because many of you probably have heard this truth before, but if God could give us grace today, me grace to speak, and all of us grace to hear and receive this truth in a fresh and deep and empowering way, it would be earth-shaking for us, for you and for me and for us as a church. Martin Luther said, justification is the head and the cornerstone. It alone begets, nourishes, builds, preserves, and defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. I mentioned that earlier, right? For no one who does not hold this article of truth is able to successfully resist any adversary. This is the heel of the seed that opposes the old serpent and crushes its head. That is why Satan, in turn, cannot but persecute it. So it is no surprise that perhaps the central truth that defines the Christian faith is the one that so powerfully addresses this complex malady of the human soul that wonders, am I okay? Am I okay? To be accounted righteous in Christ is a glorious truth. To stand firm on this truth is a glorious thing. To be accounted righteous in Christ means this. It means that God accepts us. God approves of us in Christ completely based on Jesus Christ's merit, his performance, his record, and not ours at all. At all. When we trust in Christ, when we look to him, when we trust in his work on the cross and through the resurrection, then we are justified by looking to him. Being counted righteous in Christ means that in the sight of God, we are given a totally alien righteousness, a righteousness of somebody else. It's not ours. It's his. A righteousness of somebody else that is credited as our own. John Bunyan puts it this way. John Bunyan wrote the old, um, the old book, Pilgrim's Progress. He says, our sins 
when laid upon Christ, were yet personally ours. They were not his, right? They were not his. They were ours, put upon him. So his righteousness, when put upon us, is yet personally his and not ours. By faith in Jesus Christ, if you believe in Jesus Christ, by faith in him, you are righteous right now, totally approved, totally accepted, because Christ's very righteousness is covering you right now. You may look inward and say, but I know that I'm still kind of a stinker sometimes. That's the glory of this truth. You may look inward and say, but... You know, yesterday was a really bad day. This morning was a really bad morning. Last year was a really bad year. I didn't read my Bible the way I should have. I know I wasn't as disciplined in prayer. There's lots of things I need to grow in. And amen to that. We need to grow. But in Christ, you could never be more righteous than you are right now. Because his very righteousness is clothing you. The moment you want to go from his righteousness to yours, you're downgraded infinitely. All right? Don't do it. You want to stand in his righteousness and in his righteousness alone. The song we sang earlier. um, Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness. That's what this is talking about. Being counted righteous in Christ is to have his righteousness cover you. Isaiah, I think it's chapter 66, says, talks about the glory of being clothed with robes of righteousness. Your acceptance before God now and forever is based on the work of Jesus. He submitted to God's plan for the sake of your justification. He gave himself to die, pouring out his soul as an offering for your justification. He bore your sins, bore my sins, bore the sins of many on a tree for the sake of justifying transgressors. He rose again. He stands at the right hand of God. He intercedes for his people for the sake of our right standing with God, for the sake of our justification. He is called in Jeremiah 23, 6, the Lord, our righteousness. Jesus Christ is the Lord, our righteousness. He is our righteousness because his righteousness is Accounted as ours. To be justified means nothing less. And maybe you've heard this little phrase before. To be justified means that God views you as if you have never sinned in Christ. He views you in Christ as though you've never sinned. Just justification or justified just as if. I'd never sinned. But you know, it's even better than that. Because certainly in Christ, God views us because his righteousness is clothing us just as if we've never sinned. But he also views us just as if we obeyed perfectly. 
Because Jesus didn't just take away sin, but his positive righteousness, his positive obedience is now put upon us like a cloak, like a robe. What a glorious truth. Uh, This passage says that Jesus did other things, but I think we can make an argument that all of these things that Jesus did in this passage, even these six verses I read earlier, are all aimed at this idea or this truth of counting many righteous. In verse 11, it says that he knew and submitted to the Father's plan. By his knowledge, my righteous one, it says. By his knowledge, he was in full knowledge of this purpose, of this plan. He was not taken off guard by Peter's denial, by Judas's betrayal, by the call for his crucifixion, by Pontius Pilate giving him over to the Jewish people. He was not taken by surprise, and he was not taken by surprise when his father poured out judgment upon him on the cross. It did not take him by surprise. He went into it with his eyes wide open. And Jesus said over and over again in the Gospels, something to the effect of, I always do my father's will. I always do what pleases him. I only do what I hear my father saying. I only do what what I see him doing. So he knew and submitted to the father's plan, but he did this. He, this was aimed at justifying many. He gave himself to die. He poured out his soul as an offering. Verses 10 and 12. Same thing, I think. It's talking about that he gave himself to die. He, did, he was not mainly taken to die. He gave himself to die. I love John 10 which says such a triumphant verse concerning Jesus. In his own words, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus Christ gave himself to die. Jesus Christ poured out his soul as an offering. And he did this so that many could be counted righteous He also bore the sins of many. Verse 12. He bore the sins of many. There's not just this spiritual thing that he, in some spiritual abstract way, took our sins. No, Peter says this, quoting Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree. He took our sins away. John the Baptist. This was to fulfill John the Baptist's prophecy who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes Away the sin of the world. He takes them away. He takes away sins because he bears them. He he bore them in his body on the cross. He rose from the dead. Verse 10 says he shall see his offspring. The father will see offspring coming through this servant and he shall prolong his days. So he's going to see what the servant does, what he accomplishes, and that many children are going to come into his family, and he's going to prolong his days. I think he's alluding, I think it's clearly alluding to that he will live again. He will be raised to life. And this servant intercedes for transgressors. He, I think this can be taken a couple different ways, and I just say, hey, let's take it both ways. I think he intercedes for transgressors. He stands between them and God. You remember when Jesus was on the cross and he uttered some words. He said, Father, forgive them 
They don't know what they're doing. What was he doing? He's interceding for transgressors. But Romans 8 also says that he is at the right hand of God interceding for you and I right now. And he does that for the sake of our justification. All of this so that transgressors, sinners, the worst of them, right? All of us could be counted righteous. When did he count us righteous? At what point did he count us righteous? When we had achieved a measure of righteousness in, our own, in ourselves? No. Remember who this is written to. This is written to the exiles in Babylon. This is written to those who had rejected God for centuries. And he says, prophet Isaiah says, this servant's going to come. And he's going to do something. He's going to do something so glorious, so powerful, that's going to account many transgressors, many sinners, sinners to the core, righteous. So what? Right? Some of you might be saying, maybe you wouldn't say it this bluntly, but so what? What's the big deal? This sounds just like another spiritual truth. How does this affect me? Where's the rubber meet the road? How does this change my life? You said this changes our life. How does it change my life? I'm glad you asked. So what? Okay. I have seven reasons why it matters massively. Being justified is the only hope for the ungodly. It's the only hope for the ungodly. Paul in Romans chapter 4, he's talking about Abraham and how Abraham believed God and was credited him as righteousness. righteousness. And he goes on to say, if if, if there are people who want to work for their righteousness, they're not going to get it. But if an ungodly person just believes in God who justifies ungodly people, he will be counted righteous. This is good news because this is the only hope for ungodly people. And I have news for you. You and I are all ungodly in ways. And this is good news. This is hope for you and I today and tomorrow and next year. Remember what I said earlier. The second you want to move from Christ's righteousness clothing you to approach God on your own, you're downgraded infinitely. You dare not approach God on your own apart from being clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how we have boldness to approach the throne of grace. It's not because we're nice people. We are nice people, many of us, most of us, hopefully all of us. But we only have confidence. We only have boldness. Ungodly people like you and I. Don't we still have ungodly attitudes and ungodly thoughts? Listen, I'm not saying our fundamental identity is still ungodliness, but we still do ungodly things. This is hope for the ungodly. 
but it's hope for the most ungodly person you could ever think of in your mind, too. Why? Because only ungodly people are justified. There is not one person beyond God's justifying grace. This is good news for the chief of sinners. This is good news for all of us in this room. Second reason why this matters is because being justified helps us face our real and current sins honestly without being devastated. In our present lives with victories and defeats with sin, we can fall into a ditch on either side of the road. This truth helps us to stay on the narrow road. We can fall into the ditch of moralism where we despair and it's all about us doing the right thing to get back right with God. That's one ditch. Or we can fall in the ditch on the other side, which is, who cares? Jesus died for it. No biggie. But to be justified knows that Christ took our sins, bore our sins in his body on the tree. And knows that our only right standing with God is in Christ. And so we can be real with our sin. We can be grieved over our sin. But we can look to Christ. We can run to Christ rather than running away from him. Proverbs 24, 16 says, The righteous fall seven times, but rise. So in our battle, in our lives where we do really sin, it's not just make-believe, but we actually do really sin, justification, being counted righteous in Christ, is our lifeline so that we're not crushed by our sin, but also so that we don't take lightly our sin. I was thinking about this this last past week. I hope that this, this point that I'm making right now really encourages you because the church is not meant to be like a museum, but more like a hospital. You know what I mean? Museum is you walk in, you're like, oh, everything's nice and pretty and clean and Look at that nice statue and look at that nice statue. Look at that painting. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It's awesome. It's not the way things are, right? And not here. Come to my house. Come talk to me for a bit. We have struggles. We have difficulties. We have sins that God is working on us concerning. Doubts. It's more like a hospital, the church is, where we are all receiving different levels of treatment. We're all being fixed. Jesus died on the cross to pay the perfect price for our perfect salvation. But right now, we're in this program where we're justified fully in Christ and we're being changed and being sanctified. We're becoming more and more like Christ. So being justified helps us face our real current sins honestly 
without being devastated. Number three, being justified is the root of all our assurance that God is for us now and forever, no matter what opposition or trouble we face. Are you facing opposition? Are you facing trouble? Are you facing difficulties? If you aren't now, you will be sometime, for sure. D.A. Carson said um, that suffering is a fact of life. If you haven't suffered yet, it's just because you haven't lived long enough. I mean, if you haven't gone through something hard, it's just because you haven't lived long enough yet. We all will. We all do. Some are facing intense opposition. Some are facing intense trouble today. This is not something, it's not pie in the sky. It's not like just, you know, hypothetical. There are some here facing this today. Being justified is the root of your assurance that God is for you now and forever. You may be facing something that I have no firsthand experience with. I've not faced what you're facing. So let me draw your attention to what God says in Romans 8:31. Paul writing about no condemnation in Christ. Why? Because we are righteous in Christ. Romans 8:31 says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, Paul is facing incredible opposition his entire life. So Paul is not saying that no one's going to bring accusations against us. He's just saying, if God is for us, it doesn't matter ultimately. God is on our side. God is for you. God accepts you. God approves of you in Jesus. God is for you. If God is on your side... Who can be against you and win? No one. Nobody can. That's the point. That's the point. Because Paul goes on to say, he's suffering. He says, nothing can compare. The sufferings of this present life don't compare with the glory to be revealed. He goes on further in Romans 8 and says, what can separate us from the love of God in Christ? Can persecution, famine, nakedness, sword... He says, none of these things can. Why? Because God is for us. How do we know? Circumstances? No. Don't gauge it based on circumstances. Do not do that. I've done that way too much. What do we do? We look to Christ. We find our acceptance and our approval with God through Jesus Christ now and Forever, he is for us. He is for you. It was upon this truth, being justified in Christ, that Martin Luther stood and uttered the famous words when told to recant his teachings or be burned at the stake before the Catholic hierarchy. And here's what he said. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither safe nor right. Here I stand. I can do no other. 
So help me, God. What confidence we have, no matter what, when this truth is not something we've kind of heard about or something we say, yeah, 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 I know about that, but... No, no, no. What confidence we have when this truth is undergirding our lives, when this is the massive boulder we are standing on. Proverbs 28, 1 says, The wicked flee when no one is chasing them, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Number four, as one who is justified, we can humbly yet boldly resist accusations. The devil will accuse you. You know that? Revelation says day and night, all the time. Others will accuse you. You will accuse yourself. And do you know why? Because oftentimes the accusations are true. (laughs) When I'm telling myself, Josh, you blew it. Guess what? Sometimes I really did blow it. When the devil tells me, Josh, you're not worthy to call yourself a Christian. You know what? In myself, I'm not. So what's our answer? What's our answer? That we are counted righteous in Christ. Right? Isn't that our answer? Romans 8, 33 and 34 says this. Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. When accusations come, don't turn inward and say, no, no, I'm really not that bad. No, no, turn away. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Christ. Turn upward, right? Upward I look and see him there who paid an end to all my sin. Turn away from yourself. Turn up and look at Jesus and say, but I'm righteous in Christ. I have a standing with God now and forever because of what Jesus Christ has done. So I will not accuse myself and I will not be buried by the accusations of others. And I will laugh at the accusations of the devil. Number five, being justified is meant to free you and I to love others. Justification by faith, it frees us from the paralyzing concern of what others think about us or of what we think about ourselves. In fact, this truth helps us to completely forget about ourselves almost entirely in order to love and serve others for the glory of God. And that. I heard this phrase. I can't remember where I heard it, but I, I probably heard it from different sources, so it doesn't matter. It's not exclusive to one person or something, but the gift of self-forgetfulness. I love that. <laughs> oh, God, grant us the gift of self-forgetfulness. Let us be so happy that we are counted righteous in Christ that all these other self things, self-justification, self-righteousness, self-absorption, self-whatever can just be completely forgotten about because we've forgotten about ourselves in order that we may be free to love 
and serve others. Number six, being justified is the root and foundation of the spirit-filled life. It is the root and foundation of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's what Paul says. I got to get through this quick. Paul says this in, in Galatians 3. He says, Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. God gives the Holy Spirit by works of the law? No, no, no. By hearing with faith. Just like Abraham heard with faith and believed and God counted him righteous. Number seven, being justified is the foundation of all health and growth in the Christian life. I find that for me, the need to justify myself and feel righteous in myself is such a plague at times. Right? To, to feel self, you know, um, Self-righteousness, right? But when we know that we're justified in Christ and we're standing on this truth, it is the foundation of health and growth in the Christian life. Paul puts it this way in Galatians 2. I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, which is what? The Christian life, right? The life we now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then he says this, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Jesus Christ died needlessly. He died for no purpose. His death was in vain. If we are not truly justified in Christ, but we need to work things out with the law to find our righteousness before God, then Jesus died in vain. You will find that as you build your life and hope on this truth, your desire for God and the things of God will increase. Your love for the Savior will increase. Your desire to obey will be on the rise. <clears throat> John Bunyan, again, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he struggled with just this feeling that before God, he was not okay. For years. And sometime in his early 20s, he writes this. I think it was in a book he wrote called Grace for the Chief of Sinners. But he writes this. This is his personal testimony of interaction with this truth and what it did in his life. Listen to what he says. He says, my peace would be in and out. See if this bears witness with you. Sometimes 20 times a day. Comfort now and trouble later. But one day, as I was passing in the field, and that too was some dashes on my conscience, fearing lest yet all that was, excuse me, all was not right or all was not okay, suddenly this sentence fell upon my soul. And the sentence was this, thy righteousness is in heaven. And methought withal, I saw with the eyes of my soul, Jesus Christ at God's right hand. There I say, is my righteousness, so that whatever I wa- wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, he lacks my righteousness, for that was just before him. 
I also saw, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. I was, excuse me, uh, my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself, the same yesterday, today, and forever. goes on to say, now did my chains fall off my legs. I was loosed from my affliction and irons. My temptations had fled away. Now I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. So, are you okay? Am I okay? It's a question I need to ask myself. Are you okay? Are we okay? Well, if you are counted righteous by God's servant, our Savior, Jesus Christ, then yes, indeed you are. You're more than okay. For this is medicine for your soul that you need to resist temptations to get up from your failures, to boldly renounce every accusation, to stand strong through hurricane-like trials, and make gigantic strides in the Christian life. This is the truth you need to stand on. So if you're counted righteous in Christ, you are more than okay. You're excellent. You're doing amazing. Well, you may not be doing amazing, but in Christ, you are amazing. This is medicine for the soul of every sane person who knows that on their own, they have no standing with God whatsoever. But counted righteous in Christ, let every chain of sin and guilt, of self-righteousness and self-justification fall off. Let the ups and downs of your emotions The tossing to and fro by storms bow in submission to the pronouncement of God over your life. Accepted, free, approved, beloved, forever. You are counted righteous. You are accepted. You are approved. You are free in Christ totally because of what Jesus Christ did now and forever. You could never be more accepted, never more right, never more approved before God. Your acceptance by God is as rock solid as God's acceptance of Jesus Christ himself. His acceptance of you is as real as the cross that purchased it. It's as powerful as the resurrection that vindicates it. It's as precious as his current intercession That perpetuates it. So are we okay? Jesus Christ. The one Isaiah prophesies concerning. The same yesterday today and forever. Is your righteousness. We are way better than okay. No self help manual can ever give you this. No daytime television show. Can ever help you be okay with yourself. Like this helps you be okay with yourself. Here's what God says to you today. In Jesus Christ, my son, I approve you. I count you righteous. I affirm you and love you as my holy child.
I love the last, I think it's the last verse, one of the, one of the last verses of when heaven came down. It says this, justified fully through Calvary's blood. Oh, what a standing is mine. Now I have a joy that will surely endure after the passing of time. And it's because on that wonderful day, when at the cross I believed, riches eternal and blessings supernal from his precious hand I receive. When heaven came down and glory filled my soul. May heaven come down this morning as the spirit awakens you to this glorious truth. That in Christ, now and forever, through faith in Jesus, rock of ages, nothing in my hands I bring simply to the cross. I can't, don't bring anything. Don't bring your gifts. Don't bring your worship. Just bring your hands empty and receive his pronouncement. Accepted, justified, approved. My beloved son, my beloved daughter, now and forever. Let's pray. Father, Thank you so much, God, for this amazing truth. I just encourage you, put your hands out before the Lord. And, um, or, you know, it's just a posture. It's nothing magical about putting your hands out. Open your heart to God. God, I pray through this word and the work of your Holy Spirit now, you would make the pronouncement over lives here, justified fully, through Calvary's blood. Oh, what a standing you have now and forever. God, that the things that used to shake us would not shake us. The temptations that used to ensnare us would not ensnare us. The accusations that used to crush us would not crush us. The Months and sometimes even years of stagnancy would just not be there anymore because we have a standing with God, not because we've arrived, but because Christ is our righteousness. May that be our rally cry. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. We are righteous in Christ. Not today and gone tomorrow, but now and forever. For your pronouncement over us, justified fully through Calvary's blood, is forever. In Jesus' name.